great singing today. Thank you to all the musicians. I noticed we sang a couple of those songs a little bit in a lower key, and all the men, I think, appreciated. It was kind of in, in our uh, register a little bit easier for us, so I enjoyed the music today. All right, we're going to continue on the one another's and talk about promoting spiritual growth in each other, and we're going to look at a lot of passages. I don't have just one passage today to look at. However, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. If you'd like to turn there, we'll start and end there. Um, and uh, th- of, of all the one another's that we're going to look at, this one is kind of the most uh, broad in the sense that there are mul- a multitude of commands throughout Scripture that kind of fit in this category of promoting spiritual growth. And so we're going to look at uh, really three different avenues that we can do that or that we're commanded in Scripture to do that, to invest in each other and to promote spiritual growth. Um, often when you, when you talk of spiritual growth, our minds probably, when we think of the church, we automatically think of preaching and teaching, right? We think of, well, it's the pastor's job to stand up and proclaim the truth of God so that people will grow in their knowledge and their application of Scripture. However, I, I actually don't think that it is uh, that the preaching of God's Word is the primary place that that happens. I know automatically we think of that as the formal setting where we're going to open up God's Word and we're going to, uh, someone, me or someone else, is going to, to teach and instruct, whether it be in a, in a Sunday school setting or a, a church service. But I actually don't think that's where most of the spiritual growth occurs. The reason I say that is because when I meet stagnant Christians or rebellious Christians, and they usually are quick to tell me why they don't go to church or why they don't gather, the common denominator is always the people, right? Well, I went to this church over there, and it's just a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, or I was attending this church over here and I didn't feel like they cared for me or loved for me the way that that they should. And and so usually it's other Christians is who they identify as the reason they left the church or are no longer assembling. And yet every believer is responsible for his his or her own actions. And the same thing is true of Christians. We're called to provoke one another. And that's the passage we're going to look at to start, to provoke one another. Now, when I say the word provoke, uh, I instantly think of my siblings. And it's not good provocation, right? We provoke one another to wrath. Uh, And I was especially good at it with one of my siblings who I maybe mentioned previously in a sermon. But we are called to provoke one another to love and good works. And Scripture is very clear on that. In fact, I think probably as I began this, the greatest spiritual growth doesn't happen directly from preaching or teaching. It happens indirectly as we gather together as a body in the foyer or in another classroom or in a storage room and we discuss the Word of God. That's where spiritual growth most often happens. And so we're going to look at these commands from Scripture to promote spiritual growth. And in one another, we'll start in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up, or the word provoke, to love 
and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to, there's three one another's that we're going to look at in this passage. Uh, you know, from the beginning of time, man has struggled with this though. Go back to the very original uh, humans that God created. He makes Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve conceive and they have sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel are constantly at odds with one another. And Cain becomes bitter and angry. And, and after he's angry with his brother because God accepted his brother's sacrifice but did not accept his, it said, the Bible says that anger rose up in Cain's heart and he slew his brother. And you know the story. God comes to him and he asks Cain, where is your brother? And Cain has that very famous saying he said am i in a very snarky way to god says am i my brother's keeper and if we look at scripture the answer is yes that he didn't care for his brother and in sin he slew his brother i want to tell you today is the job of every one of us in this in this body to care for one another we are one another's keepers and so let's look we're going to start if you turn your bibles to uh, romans chapter 14 we're looking at three categories here of ways that we promote spiritual growth in one another and we'll start in romans 14 and verse 13 we've been looking a lot at romans uh 12 14 and 15 in this series and we'll just look at this one verse here romans 14 verse 13 speaking of liberty the liberty that you have in christ the freedom that you have as a believer to answer to the lord and then how that plays out with other people first we must be guarding each other we must guard each other that the command is here in romans 14 13 the bible says therefore let us not judge one another anymore but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. It starts with us being able to give an answer to the Lord. The, it, the command here not to judge your brother is a command for you to judge yourself first and foremost. Now, there's a lot of confusion around judging others in Scripture, and I, I'm not going to go deeply into it. We are commanded in some places to judge one another. But we're commanded to judge one another in love and, and not before we don't first judge ourselves. And so that's what this command is. If we're giving, talking about the freedom that we have in Christ and we're talking about the manner in which we live for Christ in, in our own lives, we are first and foremost to judge ourselves, to clean up our own life and to let our actions speak for themselves and let our actions match the words that we say. And so you are to judge your own actions and your own motives. And that's a lot harder than it seems. We think we're very good and honest judges until it comes to ourselves, And then we give ourselves as much grace as we can possibly muster. Right? We do that. We give ourselves a lot of grace. And we say, well, I know where my heart was in that. I know it didn't come across right, but my heart was right. Well, maybe we should work on making it come across a little bit better then. We're to judge ourselves first 
make, make sure that we are uh, placing the spiritual growth of other people ahead of our own personal liberty. Now, I didn't say our own personal growth, but our own liberty. And in doing that, we're to keep the path of our brother or our sister clear. We're, we're, that's what the command is here, to, to make sure that your liberty does not trip someone else up. He says in the last part of the verse, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. You know, it would be, it would be terribly cruel to purposely trip a blind man, wouldn't it? We would say that is absolutely cruel. It's despicable that you would do that. And yet there's times in our life where we may put a stumbling block in front of our brother or our sister in Christ trip them Christ says that would be cruel it would be cruel for a Christian to cause another to fall into sin and so if my actions entice others to sin then I'm culpable and yet here I'm commanded to guard one another to guard those around me to guard my fellow believers and so the things that you say should not invite others to sin the things that you do should not feed the sinful passions that other people might have. The way that you use social media should not entice others to covet or lust. Right? These are, that's the principle of guarding one another, making sure that I'm not causing you to stumble in any way. And so I am the guardian of my brother or my sister in Christ. I am my brother's keeper and you are mine. And therefore, I must live carefully so as not to carelessly lead others into sin. You must live as an example of others because you love them more than you even love yourself. It means we clear anything that resembles sin from our life so that other people do not trip on them. And this is a personal matter. This is not, not somewhere where I'm going to say, hey, you need to be careful here because you might cause other people to sin. Uh, and and that, there's a time and a place for that, but you should be doing that in your own life. Are, are the liberties that I have, the freedoms that I claim in Christ, are they truly helping other people grow spiritually, or are they hurting other people in their growth spiritually? That's what liberty is for. Your freedom is for you to minister to other people, not to cause them to stumble. And so we are to guard each other spiritually. All right, let's move on to Galatians chapter 6. Don't worry, the points get longer as I go. So don't, don't be too encouraged that we're at point 2 already. Galatians 6.1 is a powerful verse when it comes to promoting spiritual growth. We are to restore each other. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, actually also contains some several one another's. And we'll, you'll understand the context of this chapter in, in just a short bit here. Let's read just verse 1, though. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Right away, you have to be gentle. The command is given. In fact, this, it's the spirit of restoration. We're going to look at that in a second. 
But the Holy Spirit, please remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction, not you. This is a hard thing for us to remember. It really is. It is not your job to convict people of sin. That's the Holy Spirit. Your job is simply to be a mouthpiece for the Lord. To literally say the, the things of the Lord, the truth of the Lord, to, to remind them of what God's Word says. Not to be the one that breaks them and, and, and brings them back to the Lord. You're simply a mouthpiece, a tool that the Lord uses to help restore people. The Holy Spirit is the one who does the work, though. It's not your job to repair people. Let's be honest. If it was your job to repair people, it wouldn't be very good, right? And, and vice versa, by the way. I'm pointing at you, but I'm pointing at me, too. If my job was to restore people, I would do a really bad job at it because I'm not as patient as the Lord is. I don't know if you knew that. And so... Christ is the one. The Holy Spirit has to bring the restoration. You simply are the one who brings comfort, who speaks scripture, who, who gives insight or understanding, who offers accountability, who in humility speaks to the person. That's your job. And let the Holy Spirit speak through you. Now what's important about gentleness here is to remember who the other person is. They are broken and hurting, whether they recognize it or not. If they need restoration, then something's wrong. There's sin in their life. And so be gentle in the way that you restore them. The person is struggling. In fact, there's so many good words in this little uh, verse. Brethren, if a man is overtaken, the word overtaken is, it gives the idea of somebody who is running or fleeing and sin is pursuing, and sin is faster and overtakes them. They defeat them. Or the idea of somebody who's trying to flee from sin, but they fall into a trap that they were unaware of. They get caught. They knew there was a danger, and they were trying to escape, and for whatever reason, they thought they could do it on their own, or they thought that this time they would gain victory, and yet they were overtaken. Sin captured them. They become snared. Spiritual failure hits all Christians at some time, so we need to know how to respond in a Christ-like manner. And he responded to sinners with incredible meekness, gentleness. And that's how we're to respond. And so you must be humble. In fact, he says, you who are spiritual, the spiritually minded one the, the spiritually mature believer is the one who's going to go to them and try to restore them now, i didn't say go to them and just rebuke them they're going to go with the purpose of trying to reunite them with the lord the purpose of restoring their fellowship with the lord and so those who are spiritually mature galatians chapter 5 describes wonderfully for us Galatians 5, verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Go on a little further. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, what do we see? We see the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And so gentleness and humility are the manner in which the Lord uses us. 
to speak to those who are hurt, to speak to those who are broken in their sin. In fact, this same word appears, this same word restore, appears in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21. I really like the verse. You don't need to turn there. It's the disciples. And, and Peter, James, and John are taking their fishing nets as Jesus appears, and they are mending their nets. They're restoring the nets. They take the two ends, and they sew them back together so that the net is whole or complete. It's the same word. To mend, to restore, or bring back to restoration what has been broken. It, it takes careful consideration to repair and restore. And thinking of the disciples as they're doing that with the net, it is a very tedious, small job that takes precision as they do it. In fact, the word is actually, it's not a fishing term, it's actually a medical term that's used to restore broken bones. So just like a doctor would take somebody who has broken bones and very carefully move them back into position together, that's how we're to care for each other spiritually. We're to do it with tenderness, to restore such a one, a struggling saint. Now think about that. That takes spiritual maturity or a spirit of meekness or gentleness to gently, in humility, bring someone back to faith. In fact, as I said, that the term is, is very tender. In fact, the spirit of restoration here is, is a spirit of gentleness, as Galatians 5 said. It's power under control, to be translated meekness, and it's done with humility. Don't try to restore with brutal force, but with tender care. Right? When we're broken and we have broken bones, we want a gentle surgeon, not a, a blundering lumberjack or a ham-fisted diesel mechanic. Here, let me fix that for you. Right? We want tenderness. We need tenderness. And as a believer, that means when we're broken, when we're hurting, we need someone to come to us tenderly and help repair and bring us back to restoration. We don't need someone to blundering come in and be like, well, I told you you shouldn't have done that. You got to get this right, right? Obviously, you don't love the Lord right now because you're not doing things. We don't need some ham-fisted mechanic trying to put things back together. We need gentleness. That's why Christ is such a beautiful picture of this. I love the story of the woman at the well. She is, she's ostracized by her community. She's in pain. And she is absolutely both physically and emotionally alone. And she doesn't know what to believe. And Jesus comes with great tenderness and gentleness to give her the water of life. Right? Think about the, the prostitute who was taken in the act, to the very act, by the Pharisees. And they're demanding that she be stoned. And Jesus very gently speaks to her and talks to her about her sin. And that's how he asks us to restore others with this spirit of, 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 of gentleness. It's power under control. It's a spirit of self-awareness. As well, though, understanding your own spiritual weakness. 
fact, he uses the word tempted here, lest you also be tempted. Be careful, otherwise you'll, you'll fall into the same trap that, that overtook them. And so with great care and great self-awareness, we are to tenderly, gently bring them back to the Lord. And we do that with the things that we say and the manner in which we say them with careful consideration. We do that with the fruit of the Spirit, with kindness, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And so you're commanded as a believer to promote spiritual growth in one another, to restore each other, just as you were commanded to guard them and just as you were commanded to encourage them. And this is the most broad one. Encourage here. We're going to look at five different uh, avenues. It's more than five words. It's probably about eight words that are used to encourage us or challenge us, I'm even using the word, to edify, to build each other up, to encourage one another in the Lord. And so it starts by gently reminding one another. I didn't say nagging one another, I said gently reminding one another. Romans 15, 14, we read it, uh, we've already read it uh, a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of good goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. That word ad- admonish means to put in mind or, or to caution or to reprove gently. It, it can be negative, but it doesn't need to be negative. It's a warning to warn someone of a, of a danger, to warn someone of the, the direction that they're heading. So it's the idea of capturing them before they get in the danger, not after they get into the danger. So this takes forethought. It takes foresight. Uh, my, my father and I have a great relationship. I said that last week. My father and I have a great relationship, and we have this connection. Maybe you have it with someone where we can just look at each other, and we know what each other's thinking. doesn't happen all the time. And, and I remember about eight years ago, standing with my father, and he, he looked at me, and I knew exactly what he was saying. There was a rather dangerous-looking guy walking by. My dad, being a police officer and everything, he's always on alert for those things. And something you could see in the guy's eyes, like a genuine evil. And my dad looked at him, profiled him, because profiling is a thing. He looked at him, and he looked at me, and I looked at my dad, and he just and I just gave him a little nod, like, I see it too. That's kind of the same idea here, this gentle reminder or warning. You see that over there? It's a little dangerous. Oh, how we need this as Christians. When we see somebody that we care about who is getting too close, dangerous. Right? We do this with our children. Why do you do that with your children? Because you don't want your child to fall into danger. Right? You don't want your child to, to slip. And so you warn them, careful, be careful. That's danger over there. And we need to do the same thing as a Christian to admonish or, or challenge or warn one another that we're getting too close to sin. Or sin is getting too close to us. 
And so it's not necessarily negative. It can be, it's meant to be a positive warning of possible danger. Can I ask you, though, do you, do you feel that you have close relationships with people who could, would warn you of danger? Would you be able to receive that? Too often in our pride, we think, no, I know. I'm all right. I understand what's going on here. Don't worry. Trust me. I've got this. But who do you have who can warn you gently? Well, part of encouraging each other is to build each other up. Romans 14, verse 19 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. The word edify, it's an architectural term. It means to build, as in the foundation, to build the foundation. Sure, we got a few people in our church who work for a foundation company. You understand, you know full well, it's the most important part of the building. If the foundation is not right, everything above it's going to be off. Something's going to be wrong. And so we as believers need to make sure that the foundation, what we believe, and how we act upon what we believe is strong. It's sure that it matters. You are to make people, make others strong spiritually, structurally in what they believe. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 has the same word. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And so this one actually has just a little bit of a twist to it. It's the idea of being a house builder. Somebody who confirms the building. And so you are to be a builder of people, a builder of others. Now we can sit here and say, well, that's the pastor's job, right? That pastor is supposed to be the, the person. Listen, that's some really warped, bad thinking. If you think it's the pastor's job to evangelize everyone, that's bad thinking. If you say, well, I invite them to church, and it's up to pastor at that point to get them saved, that's bad theology. And it's the same thing true. Carry that over into the church. If you're like, well, there's a problem going on in someone's life, they got a little crack in the foundation, better tell the pastor so the pastor can fix that. That's, that's not biblical. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of meekness or gentleness. It's the job of us as a body to invest in one another. And if you're, listen, you're going to see cracks or fissures that I'm not going to see. And so it's your job to edify, to build up, to strengthen. And it's not to criticize and say, look at this crack that I found. It's to repair it. That's your job. It's my job as a church member to do that. And it's your job as a church member to do that. And so we are to be builders. So how has someone, think back in your life, how has someone helped you at some point? Hopefully this has occurred. I know this has occurred in my life many times. I can think of it. And it was a little painful sometimes as they were repairing cracks in my life, as they were trying to build and fortify and strengthen me. Because you know what they had to do? They had to tell me that there was an error in my life. And, and nobody likes to hear that. But that's important. So how has someone helped you, build you up spiritually? And then, of course, how have you helped others well the next one's my favorite one you'll understand why we're to comfort or challenge each other 
same verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also are doing. You know this word. I'm going to give you the Greek. It's parakaleo. If you don't know that word, then that means you missed about three services back in October. It's the idea, parakaleo, is a, we have a, a brother or a sister who's struggling and they're weary and they're, they're losing strength and we come over to them and we put our arm around them. We come near to them. That's literally what it means, to come near to them and we help them up to continue on. That's parakaleo, to come alongside one another, to call them to faithfulness, to encourage them and challenge them to godly desires. I actually saw a clip of a race that perfectly pictured this. It was a NCAA, not that I watched this, it just kind of popped up, NCAA marathon race. And there was a runner coming in, and he's nearing the finish line, maybe, maybe 50 feet from the finish line, and it was an incredible picture. His legs get wobbly, and he's coming along and he falls down and he's trying to crawl to the finish line and he can't and then you see around the corner comes someone else the, the someone else happens to be his twin brother so the guy in first place has fallen down at the finish line and the guy in second place his brother comes running up and he stops and he comes to his brother and literally grabs his arm and picks him up and starts moving him to the finish line. And you know what happened? Then came third place. And third place came running past them and finished the race and won. And the second brother got to the finish line and he, it was kind of funny, he literally threw his brother across the finish line so he could get second place. And the brother who had every opportunity to finish first got third. That's Pericoletto. He took third so that he could come alongside literally his brother and help get him across the finish line. Listen, we've spoken a lot about this word in the last few months, so let me be very real right now and ask a hard question because it's not for lack of knowledge. How have you come alongside someone in need and encouraged them to be faithful in the last couple months? The call was issued back in October for us to do this from God's word. So let's be honest. How have we done it? How have we one another that way? Coming along to help someone else gain spiritual victory, encouraging them by coming alongside them. Two left and we're done. The next is to serve one another. This one will be familiar as well. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister, that's the word, to serve, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I, the word minister here is Again, it's the Greek word diakonos. It's what we get our word deacon from. To be a servant. To wait upon. To attend to the needs of other people. And here it's not even, it's not even spiritual. It's literally physical. To, to just make sure that people have what they need. I didn't say what they want, but what they need. 
physically. So this is to get uh, to, to minister in tangible ways, physical ways. Let me ask you, why is that important? Why is it important to meet the, the needs that people have? Right? Who cares if we uh, take our, our neighbor's trash cans from the street and put them next to their house for them? Does that matter? Does it have any value in it? Is it just being a good person? Is it, is it more than that? You see, this is a way that we have avenue to build relationships so that we can do the other components that we just talked about. Walk up to a stranger and try to repair them spiritually and tell me how that goes, right? They're going to tell you you're a judgmental jerk. But walk up to a, a person that knows that you care for them physically, spiritually, and try to restore them, and they're going to know you care. So it's not that the physical is unimportant. The, the ministering is an avenue for us to build relationships, serving other people, putting their needs ahead of ours so that we can minister to them in their time of need. And then lastly, we go back to Hebrews 10. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we, we get this word, the word consider here. Let us consider one another. It, it means three, there's three one another's here. Consider means to fully observe. You know, to, to know deeply what their need are, needs are, to know deeply the spiritual things that are going on in their life. So this takes, a, this takes a really high level of commitment to fully observe what's going on in their life. But my commitment doesn't stop at just knowing what's going on because the, the, the follow-up command is to then stir them up, provoke them, right? We, we know what it means to stir, go ahead and stir up a hornet's nest, and what happens? You get stung, Right? There's a, a cause and effect. When we stir something up negatively, we know the consequences hurt. When we stir something up positively, there should also be consequences, but they're good. Good things should result when we stir or incite others. And in fact, here, we're to provoke or stir up what? Love and good works. So he puts it in the positive form. It's the positive aspect of prodding others to success. As, a, as opposed to, to promoting anger in them. And he, here's how it, it boils down. It means you seeing the Lord working in somebody's life, and you start giving some gentle pushes to leave their comfort zone. Right? Because we would, if left to ourselves, we would all just stay in our comfort zone. What's familiar, what we enjoy, and yet Christ constantly is calling us to press on, to, to uh, advance forward, not to just stay in status quo. If you are staying in status quo, then that's literally the same thing as saying you are stagnant. And he wants us to move for him, to advance forward, to be more than a conqueror, an overcomer. And, and, and so you need to be looking for other people that you can kind of give them a gentle nudge at times. 
and ask them to do things maybe they're not super comfortable with. I, I'm very thankful. I'm going to use my poor Clint on the spot. He loves when I put him on the spot, right? Clint does not like getting up in front of other people. Clint has done it multiple times lately, and I praise the Lord for that. Not his, he would rather be in the background, and that's fine. But then you see something in somebody, and you see what the Lord's doing in their life, and you can give them a little push. See what the Lord does. So thankful for Clint and Madeline, for what the Lord's doing, their advancement and their excitement in the youth. Church is going to benefit from that. We need to be looking for others that we can give them just a, a gentle nudge once in a while for their good. That's the idea here of, of provoking or stirring up. And then the last word, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but parakaleo, one another. You had to know it was coming back here. Exhorting one another. The reason I want to emphasize this one is I want you to see the context where this exhorting is happening. I hate to say it, but I've heard this verse used out of context too many times. I've heard pastors say, hey, listen, Bible says you should not forsake the assembling of yourselves. You should be in the church service. Okay, that's true. That's very true. But that's not what the verse is saying. The verse is saying that you should be the church. If you simply come to church and you sit in a church service and you worship the Lord and you leave and you never interact with one another, you never promote one another, you never parakaleo one another, you never edify one another, then you have not been the church. You just went to church. The command here is to invest in each other, not just show up to a church service and check the box that you completed Hebrews 10.25. You didn't if you didn't invest in anyone. Now listen, I'm not saying that every time you show up to church, you have to invest in someone. Boy, that might get a little bit intense, right? You walk through the door and 10 people attack you to try and invest in you. But you should be in this constant state where at any moment you can pause and you can invest in other people. And listen, let's be honest, there's days where you're going to show up and you, you, don't, you can't. You're not able to invest in anyone else because you need people to invest in you. Then don't you want to show up to a church that doesn't forsake the assembling of itself together? And they edify and they build up, they comfort they serve, they honor, they prefer. That's what we need. We don't need to go to church. We need to be the church. This is the tangible care of one another. It's when we stimulate growth in each other. And so again, the application is very direct. So how have you gathered today with the purpose. I'm not trying to condemn you if you haven't edified somebody this moment, this day. But how have you gathered today with the purpose in mind of igniting spiritual growth in others? How have you deeply considered someone else so that you could build them up as a believer? This doesn't mean 
Every moment of every day we're doing it, it means we're ready. Or to put it in the negative, do you seek to avoid people so that you don't have to do it? Or so that people don't do it to you? Just not in the mood today. That should never be the case when we gather together as a church. We gather to give God the glory, first and foremost. And second, we gather to encourage one another. And in doing that, we take third, and what happens is we too will grow and be challenged. What a responsibility I have for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Truly, I am to watch for your souls and you for mine, because I am my brother's keeper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we want to be the church. We need to be the church. And I thank you for the work that you are doing in our hearts and in our lives. And even the last few weeks as we've seen brokenness in ourselves and in others, a tenderness to grow, to gather together, even doing it when it's bitter cold out and difficult. And yet, Lord, you will, you will bless and you'll honor that. I pray that we would be the church, remembering we don't change anyone. We're just simply a mouthpiece to bring encouragement, challenge, admonishment, edification, comfort. We're to speak your word into each other's lives so that you can challenge our hearts and conform us to your image. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, the chance to give you glory and to give you honor and to exalt your name. And I pray that our heart's response right now would be just that. It would give you the glory that you deserve. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.